Can I be straight with you this morning? Always, right? Please. Life can be crazy, right? Are you with me, right? Life can be, let me, let me it's crazy. I, okay, so if I were to pull out my wallet and show you, and I don't want to show you my wallet because then you might get a picture, a glimpse of my, my driver's license photo, but if I were to show you my wallet, what you would see inside of my wallet are these little three-by-five note cards, several of them, folded up, and they are my to-do lists. And then I also have on my phone here, I'll show you this, I have another to-do list. And I need a to-do list for my to-do list. I mean, just that, that's, how I, that's how I roll. And, and, and to be honest, I, I struggle personally with just living life at this kind of frantic pace. Is anybody with me? Just kind of burning through life, frantic, you know, just always seeking to accomplish the, the, the next task. And, and sometimes I get these moments of, of clarity and I just stop and I just breathe and I realize I'm not a robot, you know? And I, I realize that the people in my life are, are, are not robots. We don't just work, 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 but we actually relate with each other. We need meaningful human interaction, you know what I mean? You ever feel like that? You just, I would like to just sit and talk or be with somebody and not have this agenda buzzing in the back of my head. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, says that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. God said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. In other words, God is one, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So for creation or eternity past, he has been within community in himself. And we're made in that image and likeness that we need to have meaningful relational interaction with People and, and we're in the middle of this teaching series that we're, we're calling Neighboring. I think it's so important, according to the scriptures, that we neighbor. We saw that in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to do what? To love the Lord your God with every part of your being and to what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And we hear that over and over and over again. If you grew up in the church, you're really comfortable with that. Yeah, I love my neighbor as myself. But we're asking the question, do we really love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves? And it flows out of loving God with every ounce of your being. And if you love God with every ounce of your being, you're going to love those who he loves, starting with the people next door. So that might be for you that the houses around you, if you're in a triple-decker, might be the people above you, below you, might be the apartments beside you, the condos around you, the dorm rooms surrounding your, your room on, on the hall. They're full of neighbors, right? People that we need to love and to serve and to interact with. It's this ready-made matrix of relationships, this program that is there. We just have to enact the, the, the program, so that we might love people and display Christ-likeness to them. It's easy, right? Not exactly. I think that the, the, the greatest obstacle to us as Christians being really good neighbors is one word, and that word is time. You with me? I think the greatest obstacle is, is time. And so today is my hypocrite sermon. I think I'm allowed at least one of those a year. Uh, this is something that I stink at. 
And so I come here uh, with humility, and I come here just asking God to move in spite of me. This is one of my chief sins. And if I have ever, ever caused you to fall victim to my sin here, I am terribly sorry. I struggle with buzzing around and, and just knocking off items on my to-do list to the point where sometimes it communicates, you know what, I love my to-do list more than I love people. And I want to be as transparent as I possibly can about this. I've been regularly praying, God, help me to care about people the way you care about people. God, help me to, to, to love people more than I love getting things accomplished, right? Help me to be driven by relationships with people and not driven by what I've done or accomplished. God, give me your drive, which is a drive for people. And I wonder if I'm alone in this. You know, I, I wonder if, if it's just me, or is it possible that, that, that many of us in the room this morning, we, we, we have so little time and so much to do that, that, that God's heart for people isn't really reflected in our own lives. That, that loving our neighbor as ourselves, flowing out of loving God, those aren't the top two on our to-do list, and they never get checked off. It really should be. And so I want to start by looking at a principle that Jesus teaches, and it's a very, very important one. And then we're going to move on to just some examples in the life of Jesus. And so in order to, to get this principle, we need to flip in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42 is where we're going to be. Luke 10, 38 through 42. And for me, this is my most personally convicting passage time and time and time again. Luke 10, 38 through 42. We have Bibles in the seats if you need one, and if you don't have one at home, take that one home. It's our gift to you. Let's, let's read it together. Luke 10, beginning in 38. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So, Jesus enters into the village after he and his disciples doing all kinds of ministry, traveling all over the place. And, and now we're, we're introduced to, to two ladies, ladies who, who come to have a very special place in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And they are Mary and Martha. And we later learn that they have a brother named Lazarus, right? And Lazarus is the one who gets sick and Jesus raises him from the, the dead. And they live in this village called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And as, as Jesus enters into this village, Mary says, I'm gonna, or Martha says, I'm going to host Jesus. I'm going to have this Jesus in my house. And, and if you were here last week, you know, hey, that's a good move, right? Last week, we, we talked about partying like it was AD 29, right? We want to party like Jesus. So we're going to have a little party and invite Jesus in to the house. And we're going to let our home be a hub of ministry. So Mary or Martha, good, good form. You're doing good, right? So far, so good. Now, 
verse 39, we meet Martha's sister, Mary. So Jesus comes into the house, and, and what is Mary up to, according to the scriptures? It says she's sitting at the Lord's feet, right? She's enthralled with Jesus. He's right here, and she's sitting there listening and, 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 and learning and enjoying herself in Jesus' presence. Meanwhile, what is Martha doing? Verse 40, she's, she's serving, right? She's serving. And, and in that culture, what should Mary have been doing according to that culture? She should have been with her sister serving the honored guest, preparing food, uh, brewing the coffee, setting the, the, the table, cutting the bread, pouring the wine. The to-do list is long because Jesus is incredibly important and Jesus is in the house. But where is Mary? She's at the feet of Jesus. Now, how about you? Who do you tend to be? I think we all kind of lean one way or another. In fact, on the count of three, give me Mary or Martha. Who are you? One, two, three. Martha. Okay. So Martha is sweating. She's, she's working hard. She's on her feet. And where is Mary? She's on her tail, sitting in front of Jesus. And Martha has had it at this point, right? She, she's upset. And, and, and so... She's thinking, surely Jesus has noticed my sister's laziness, right? And so she speaks up, doesn't she? And in verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, help me, right? Tell, tell my sister to, to help me. I mean, Jesus, the Proverbs speak about slothfulness, right? Jesus, rebuke her. I feel like this is like my boys, right? They're always telling on each other. Mom, Dad, did, uh, Isaiah did this, Luke, I mean, just back. We're always, just stop talking, right? They're just always telling on each other. She's telling on her sister, do something. Get him in trouble. Get her in trouble. And Jesus responds, and what does he say? He says, verse 41, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, how many of us right now, that statement, it was like Jesus was reading my mail, right? Like you are anxious and, and troubled about many things. Life is crazy. The to-do list is long. The email inbox is overloaded. The days are not long enough to get accomplished what I need to get accomplished. And you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, Right? Many things. It says that, that Martha is distracted by much serving. She's distracted. Jesus is in the house and she's serving. And Jesus says to Martha, verse 42, he says, one thing is necessary right now. And Mary chose the, the, the one thing. Mary chose the, the good portion. And it will not be taken uh, away from her. Mary is doing the correct thing right now. I will not take her from what she's doing. Now, now wait a second. What is Martha doing? She's serving Jesus. And so if Mary chose the, the, the good portion, Martha's serving Jesus. Does that make it the, the bad portion? Should she not be serving Jesus? Is the Bible against serving we could spend the next 30 minutes in a, in, a, in a sermon just focusing on what the Bible has to say about 
serving. We could go Matthew 20, uh, John 13, Philippians 2. Jesus was a servant. He became a servant among people. What we're talking about is not bad versus good. We're talking about good versus great. That's what we're talking about. And and many of the things I think on my to-do list and perhaps on your to-do list are very important. They're important. But what we're getting from Jesus is that we cannot overlook the good for the great. Or in this case, the good for the greatest, right? We're talking about the greatest, the commandments here. The great commandment. Mary did not do the, the, the good work of Martha. Instead, she did the greatest work, and that was loving Jesus, being with Jesus. And so here's, here's the principle that I believe that, that Jesus is, is teaching us here. He, he's telling us this. He's saying we cannot forsake the utmost for the urgent. We can't forsake the utmost for the urgent. And what is the utmost or the greatest? So we've been looking at it. It's the, the greatest commandment. We're so familiar with it. But is it really the greatest in our lives that we love God with everything and just flowing out of that, we love our neighbors as ourselves? That is the utmost, he tells us. He says, all the law and the prophets, the whole Bible hangs upon these commands. I mean, this is it. Christianity, love God with everything you got. And flowing out of that, love your neighbor as your, yourself. That is the utmost. But what is urgent to us right now? To us, maybe urgent is I got this project with the deadline. I've got this place I've got to be. I've got this house that needs to be clean. I've got this home repair that has to be done. I've got to get the kids here. I've got to sign them up for this or that. And again, I am the, the chief of sinners here. And I have been forced all week long to, to, to wrestle. I've got all kinds of things that seem so urgent. But the greatest commandment, you know, it doesn't seem to have a time frame on it. It's like I can push it off, and we can push it off, and we can push it off. But what if we lived like the, the greatest commandment was urgent? Like we have to love these people today. We have to give our Lord our, our hearts and our lives. We've got to really pursue him with everything we've got today. What if we treated that like it was urgent? I believe that neighborhoods would be changed. I mean, they would just be completely flipped upside down. I remember the, at the end of the first year of, of starting this church, I remember observing, okay, so we have some people coming now. We're just a few years into this right now, but the very first year, okay, we have some people coming now. A church is starting to be born, but I remember kind of assessing where we were at and realizing, I think my family is the only family in this church that lives in Parkway, Boston, like West Roxbury, Roslindale. And God called us to start a church for West Roxbury, Roslindale, Parkway, Boston. And, and so Becky and I began to pray, Lord, you've called us to reach this place. We have people coming in from around, and we're so thankful for it. But God, help us to, to see people from this place, Lord. Help us to, to, to really see a movement in this neighborhood. And, and then suddenly, I, I get an email from the Masaros, right? Uh, new to the neighborhood, but they had grown up here, moved out, and then were moving back. And I get this email, and uh, 
they last night hosted a, a Spanish speakers fellowship for our church. It was just phenomenal. And uh, I get this email, and for whatever reason, in the email, uh, Megan gives us all this detail about her family heritage. You know, it's kind of strange for an introductory email. You know, just say, hey, I'm going to visit your church on Sunday. Just wanted to let you know. But this email said, here's my background. My family lived in West Roxbury. My husband's family, my wife, husband's wife, uh, mother went over to Rosnell High. And all this background, it was, wow, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a lot there. But for me, it was so clear that God was saying, listen, I'm answering your prayer. There are people in this neighborhood, and we're going to reach this neighborhood. With any other circumstance, that would have been kind of an, a lot, overkill in an initial email. But God just really was making it clear. I'm speaking to your heart. We're going to see this neighborhood flipped upside down. He was saying, Josh, don't give up. These neighborhoods are going to be saturated with people who love Jesus and who are going to, flowing out of that, love their neighbor as themselves. And so... All week long, I've been praying and driving around the neighborhoods, just asking God, God, what is our next worship location? And I'm reminded that, that though the church faces homelessness, I don't think we're going to be, but though we face homelessness in terms of Sunday worship space, our church is all over. This isn't just, this isn't us. Our church is all over the, the, the region. All over this place are people who are scattered and they are redeemed by Christ and they're restored to right relationship with with Christ. They're they're scattered all over the region. And as I drive through the neighborhoods and and I pray, I'm constantly praying and and reaching out my hand as I pray. And maybe if you see me, like, what's he doing? He's worshiping. I'm I'm pointing my hand towards homes and just, just praying and I'm praying for you. And so whenever I ride the bus to Forest Hills and I pass by Healy Field, just stretch my hand out towards that field. And God, would you just do something? Would you, would you grant us favor there? And then he starts to bring all these people from around Healy Field. And we have a number of ambassadors there, just neighboring well there. It's just an amazing thing that God has done. I, I drive in my car by local playgrounds. I stretch my hand out. God, do something there. We have missionary moms there all the time at all these playgrounds. It's, it's an amazing Thing. I drive by apartment complexes, and I'll, I'll even park and just pray over apartment complexes. And we have ladies running food banks in their apartment complex and groups happening and senior citizens being cared for. I'm on most of the major streets in this area every single day, and I'm praying over LaGrange Street and over Center Street and over VFW Parkway and Washington Street and Cummins. I'm just praying over Hyde Park Avenue, all these places. Just, God, God, do something, do something. I'm getting really good at driving with one hand, by the way. It's great. And, and you know what? As I'm praying this week and praying for the next location, it's, it's been very clear to me, God, God's got his church all over the place. And we're scattered all over the place. He's answering prayers. Can you imagine if this just continues to happen? And we just, we all neighbor well as we're scattered and saturated all over this place. It would be an amazing thing. What if we said the top of my to-do list is loving God with everything and, and neighboring well? What if that was urgent to us? What if that was, that was urgent to us? And here's the thing. It's always going to be crazy, right? 
Life is always crazy. In fact, let me give you three lies that I think we, we can believe often. And here, here's the first one. Three lies we believed. I borrowed these from a guy, an author named Jay Pathak, and this is really important. Lie number one that we all believe, I think, is, is life will settle down someday. Anybody believe that lie? You buying that lie? Life is going to settle down. And, and when things settle down, I, I'm going to make loving God and loving my neighbor priority. Listen, I bought that lie for far too long. Life does not settle down. It only gets busier and busier. And so if you're thinking, okay, I'm going to work like crazy right now so that I can provide for my kids and give them a great spot, and then life is going to settle down and I'll be the mom or the dad that I need to be. There's a few problems. First of all, life doesn't settle down. It only spirals out of control. Two, you're training yourself to live at a frenzied pace. And three, when life finally does settle down, if it should, your kids aren't going to want to need you anymore. They're not going to come to you anymore. That You've trained them to live without you. Right? Things will settle down someday. Truth is, things will settle down either when you die or things will settle down when you get very intentional about adjusting your schedule. Right? It's just a lie. Here's, here's the next lie. More will be enough. You ever bought into that lie? Like, one more purchase, one more achievement, one more program, one more letter behind my name, then I will devote more time to fill in the blank. Children, family, spouse, whatever it may be, the mission of Jesus. I wonder if, if Martha, I always think about this, I wonder if Martha was saying to herself, okay, as soon as I finish the fish, then I'll go hang out with Jesus, right? I've got to get this done. I've got I to accomplish this. And then I'll go be with Jesus. You're going to find there's always a new mountain to climb. You're going you're to find that there's always a new career opportunity. You're going to find that there's always a new educational achievement that's, that's right in front of you or a new purchase that you've got to work really hard for. And so, listen, you've got to get intentional about being content with where you're at because more is never enough. You, you learn that? With the... Christmas afternoon feeling, time and time and time again. Here's line number three. Everybody lives like this. Like, it's okay for me to live like this because everybody lives like this. It's just normal, right? I'm supposed to be stressed out, right? (laughs) We tend to tell ourselves that. And if I'm not, then I must not be working hard enough. I'm not successful if I'm not stressed out because I'm I'm not working Hard enough. I bought into that lie numerous times. You're not supposed to be stressed out. The Bible says be anxious for what? For nothing. Well, what about nothing? Right? Do not worry, Jesus says. God has something better for you. And believe it or not, there are people out there who don't live like that all the time. There are dads who have time to give to their their kids. There are spouses who actually go on dates. There are Christians who actually read their Bibles every single day and pray every single day and commune with God as he tells us, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. There are neighbors who spend time together. You're missing out. Not everybody lives like this. It's a lie. 
And maybe because we're in this highly success-driven city, real packed in tight, we think that the rest of the world lives like that. Just go outside a little bit, get some space. You know, I, I've told some of you guys this before, and so I apologize for sharing this again, but I think it's just so, so telling that there was a study done about different cities in America and what people found their worth in. And so New Yorkers, they found their worth in power. How much power do I have? How much real estate do I own? How much my mark on the city? That, that, that was their worth. That was their value. In Los Angeles, their, their value, their worth was how well I partied on the weekends, how I enjoyed myself. So that was if oh, I went surfing, I went to the mountains, I did this, whatever you did. That was your value. You were able to, you know what Boston was? Their worth, according to the, the, the study, was busyness. How busy I am says how important I am and how needed I am and how valuable I am. So if I'm not busy, I'm not very important. And we just sit in this city and just play off this lie and just spin around like crazy. And it's not honoring to God, right? Not everybody lives like this. At least they're surfing in L.A. (laughs) Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10? It's a great verse. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come so that they might have life and have it to the full. And when he says, I want them to have it to the the full, he's not talking about a full schedule. He's not talking, I want them to have a life full of stress. He's talking about, I want them to have life abundantly. I want them to have real joy. I don't want them to be running around in this frenzy all the time. And so the principle that Jesus here is teaching Martha is you cannot forsake the utmost, the most important, the life that I really long for you to have for the urgent. He tells us very plainly, the utmost is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the whole Bible hangs on that. Now, okay, so that's, that's the utmost. That's, that's important. So what does it practically look like then? Well, fortunately, we have Jesus, who is God, who walked around on this earth in the flesh, dwelt among us, and showed us what it looks like. And so let's, let's close out by just thinking about what, what does that look like in, in Jesus. And a question for you, it's, it's been banging around in, in my head all week long as I study and prepare and do business with the Lord in my own sin, is as you think about the life of Jesus, do you ever see Jesus in a hurry? You ever thought about that? Like, is Jesus ever running around like Josh in a hurry all the time? Got something to do, got to be somewhere, got to do this, get this done. Is Jesus ever in a hurry? I don't ever see Jesus in a hurry. I tried so hard this week to justify myself. Like, come on, Jesus, <laughs> hurry somewhere. Like, I'm flipping through. He, I failed, right? I tried to justify America. I failed, right? I surveyed his life this week. And a couple observations that I made. I think these are really important. The life of Jesus. As I'm looking at the life of Jesus, he's given time to be with people over and over and over, isn't he? He's just being neighborly. And, and here's the first observation that I made from the life of Jesus. That is that Jesus made margin. Jesus made margin. Do you see that in his life? Like there's, there's margin. 
for him to interact with people. There's space built into the life that he lived on this earth so that he could be with people, so that he could love God with everything and so that he could love neighbor. You see, time and time again in in the New Testament, we see him slipping away to a quiet place so that he might be with God and love his Father, right? And commune with the, the Father. And then time and time again, you see in the life of Jesus, he's sitting with people. He's talking to people. He's caring for people. He's meeting needs. He became the most sought-after preacher of his day. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. Crowds are around him all the time. He's, he's always got people following him, demanding schedule that Jesus had towards the, 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 the three years of his, his ministry. But he always seemed to have time for people, didn't he? He always seemed to spend time with people and have that, that personal touch with people. Why? Because he made margin. And why was there margin? He made it, right? He didn't just happen to have margin. Well, I don't because I'm busy. He made margin, right? We have to make time. We have to make room. We have to, to make margin built into our lives so that when our neighbor needs us, we're there. Okay, I can stop. I, I built that into my life. One of the most beautiful laws in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic laws, Leviticus 19.9. This is so cool. Let me just read it to you. This is a, an Old Testament Mosaic law. And it's not, we're not bound to it anymore, but I think it really does show us a great principle. It says this, to the person who has land, to the person who has some kind of crop, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. And so if you have land and if you have crops, if you have corn or something growing, when the harvest comes, make your harvest, but do not gather the gleanings. That's what falls to the ground. Leave that there on the ground. And then you also will leave around the edge of your field margin around the edge of your field. Do not harvest it. Why? So that you can give it to people who have need. It was God's welfare system of the Old Testament. So that if somebody's walking by and they're a refugee or an immigrant or they're poor or they're widowed or they're, they're orphaned, they walk by your field and the edge is right there and they can pick it and, and have it, right? It's this beautiful picture of the compassion of God in the Old Testament. God commanded his people, I want you to leave margin in your life. Now, in our lives today as new Christians, not under that law, but the principle is still there for us, do we have margin built into our lives? Do you have space in your life to be a good neighbor, to give people what they need when they they need it? Do you have time to help out your neighbor when he needs help with his car or or to shovel the the senior citizen's driveway or to sit and to talk with the hurting and then show them the, the healer, Jesus? Do you have that? Jesus did. He made margin. We have to make margin. Martha, Mary is not being slothful. She's being Christ-like. She's being like Jesus. And when the margin runs out, here's the other observation that I've made as I just study the life of Jesus. When the margin ran out for Jesus, you see Jesus was interruptible. Wasn't he? Jesus was interruptible. Think about how many times Jesus got interrupted. 
and never got ticked off. We talked last week just quickly about the story of Jesus, and he's teaching inside of Peter's house. And they bring this paralytic for Jesus, and they couldn't get through the crowds of the house. Jesus is doing this. He's teaching, and people are packed in tight. And all of a sudden, a little ray of light shows through the roof, and it gets bigger, bigger. And they're digging a hole through Peter's roof. And Jesus is in the middle of a stinking sermon, right? Can you imagine? Wait, wait. He didn't get ticked off. What did he do? He said, all right, guys, hold up. <laughs> Come on down. And he heals the man, right? He just, he was, he was interruptible, right? You can interrupt Jesus. He doesn't get angry. You see, I'm, I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs> you don't see that with Jesus. I think Mark chapter 5 is one of the most uh, poignant examples of this with Jesus. He's, he's swarming around with, with ministry activities, just lots going on, and he's traveling across the Sea of Galilee back and forth by boat to, to do ministry in these different towns. And, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee this time in Mark chapter 5, and it says, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. So here's what that, that's telling us. As soon as he gets off the boat, Beside this, he's right there. The, the crowd just gathers around Jesus, right? I mean, can you at least let the guy get acclimated? You know, like let him see the, the sights a little bit or like figure out what this place is all about before he starts teaching and healing. No, he just gets off the boat and there's interruption number one, right? They just, nope, we need you right now, Jesus. And then in the midst of all the commotion, one of the leaders of the synagogue comes up. Jesus is trying to do some teaching and, and whatnot. A leader of the synagogue, his name is Jairus. Jairus comes, comes rushing up. Please, please help. My daughter is sick and she's about to die. Does Jesus say, well, there's only one of her and there's thousands of them. So I think this is more important. Does he do that? No. What does he do? All right, let's go. And he goes and it, it appears as though it's a long travel to, to, to get there. And he gets there. So there's interruption number two. This guy comes up and interrupts him. Now, he, he, he's on his way to help out this near-death girl, right? And while he's walking, it says he stops, and he says, someone just touched me. Now, <laughs> there's like a swarm of people. That would be like Bieber at a concert. Someone just touched me. I'm like, everybody's touching you, man. They're all over you, right? Someone just, just touched me. And and he says, whoever touched me was a person with great faith. There's interruption number three. He stopped and acknowledged that somebody has just touched me. We find out it's a woman who has had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. She believed Jesus can, can heal me, and he does, right? He goes on and he heals her. He doesn't say, okay, well, you've lived with this for 12 years. I'm on my way to help a girl who's about to die. So maybe later, I'll come back. No, he stops. He acknowledges her. He's sensitive to her needs. He's with her. He heals her. And then he goes to see this girl, Jairus' daughter. I love how even in the midst of the craziness, he's observant to people's needs. Is that us? Life is crazy. Do you acknowledge that your neighbors across the street really hurting? Life is crazy and the weeds across the street are growing up on your neighbor's house. Do you acknowledge that maybe it's because they're, they're shut in? Or maybe it's because they have no time to do any yard work because they're caring for an elderly parent? Are we observant? Jesus was observant. 
And then suddenly somebody comes up right after that. Interruption number four. Jesus, Jesus. Too late, she died. If you, were, if you would have kept going and banging off the to-do list, she wouldn't have died. And the, the girl died. What does he say? You know the story? He says, well, actually, she's sleeping. People laugh. <laughs> I know what a dead person looks. She's dead, Jesus. She's dead. Bring me to her. He goes, he sees her, he grabs her hand, and he says, Talitha, rise. Little girl, arise. And he brings her to life. Miracles. Life change taking place here. Why? Because Jesus made margin. And when the margin runs out, because life gets tight, schedule gets tight, he was interruptible. And he had the kind of faith that we need to have where it's like, you know what? I got things to do, but I'm going to be interruptible and I'm going to trust God that he's going to provide times for the other things that I need to do. That principle of the first fruits that we only apply to money for some reason I think actually also applies to our time. That if we would get God the first fruits of our time, watch how he comes back and gives you the time you need to accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. Students, I know you got a project. I know life is hard. I know it's challenging. But if you will give God the first fruits of your time, you're going to have plenty of time to finish the project. For all of us, that's, that's going to be true for, for all of us. And if we follow that example, what happens? Life change. Life change happens because we stop chasing the urgent and we go after the utmost. What he says very clearly is the greatest commandment. But we, in our minds, try to say, but, 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 but God, this is urgent. This has a time frame. He says, this is the utmost. So here's how we close. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't too busy for you? Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I got some more important people to save? Some of us in here, you never even acknowledge that. You never even realize Jesus died for you. He came to earth, lived the life you can never live perfectly, died the death that you and I deserve as our substitution so that if we might trust in his sacrifice for our sins, we might be made right with God and have life and life eternally. He did that for you. He wasn't too busy for you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so some of us today need to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to the one who gave it all for me, the one who loves me better than anybody loves me, the best neighbor of all time. Jesus came and dwelt among us. He was my neighbor. And then Christians in the room, listen, we need to follow his example. We, we, we really need to follow his example. He only had three years of ministry on this earth. And he really made the most of it, didn't he? We need to make the most of our time, as Peter says. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And the best use of your time is doing what he says is the best use of your time. He knows. That is love him with everything. Pursue a vibrant relationship with Christ and love your neighbor as yourself. And time, it's always slipping through our fingers. But God is the author of time. God is above and outside of time. 
And he's looking and he's saying, I've given you this command because I know that if you will live this out, you can make a tremendous impact and your joy will be made full. You won't be frenzied all the time. You won't be stressed out all the time when you, in faith, do what I told you to do. So some of us need to repent, confess, and tell God, I want to walk with you. I want to do what you told me to do. I'm going to stop saying that my scenario is the exception to the rule because it's not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. That even when we struggle with following you and doing what you told us to do, you are so gracious to forgive us of our sins. And so for the Christians in this room who need to turn from their sin and, and just confess that they've, they've not really been living out what you called them to live out, may they have a real sense that, that you're giving them a fresh start. Even when they feel like, I'm so committed to all this stuff, how can I possibly have a fresh start? May they have a real clear vision for the fresh start that you have for them. For those in this room who do not know Jesus, may they have a real clear understanding of the truth that you weren't too busy for them, you love them, you have a plan for them. They might walk with you and be restored to right relationship with God through Jesus. So I commit them to you. May they do business with you as we move forward in response. We love you. Commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.